Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every great magic trick consists of three acts. The first act is called The Riley and Kimmy Show. The Riley and Kimmy Show. It is a way back Wednesday, the day this show is uploaded. It is a July 5th, episode number 1,296. Right next to me is my wacky Kimmy. Kimmy, I got one name, Kimmy. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Everybody, 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 everybody. <laughs> Hi. Hi, I am your host, Patrick Riley. Oh, I'm not so bad once you get to know me. Ooh. That is so true. And right next to me is Kimmy. Hello, Kimmy. Hello. Welcome to a Way Back Wednesday. Yeah. We are going to go way back in time with this episode of the Riley and Kimmy Show. Matter of fact, uh, we got, well, something we're going to spotlight a couple of things towards the latter part of this episode. So stick with the Riley and Kimmy Show for that. And it is a Wednesday. What is a Wednesday, Kimmy, in the world of nerdum? New comic book day. That's right. Brand new comics, brand new superhero and comic related products in comic book stores throughout the country. And if you need to find a comic book store near you, we have a comic book shop locator available right on our website. Also, we have a list of what is brand new in stores like, you know, the comic books, the graphic novels, trade paperbacks, statues, also toys and so much more. And you can find all of that Right now on our website. And what is our web address, Kimmy? RileyandKimmy.com The Riley and Kimmy Show. Shall we play a game? That is a question we have for Kimmy on this way back Wednesday, a July 5th. Does she want to go back in time and play a game of nerd and pop culture geek trivia? Kimmy, would you like to play today? Yeah. For those who are unfamiliar, maybe the first time listening to the Riley and Kimmy show, we asked Kimmy some questions from a scrambled up timeline it is not linear or chronological it is all over the place now we truly believe in time travel answers so feel free to shout out answers at whatever device you're listening to the riley and kimmy show on it could be anything because we are mobile and we are global you can take us anywhere on planet earth tell your friends you found a place that offers pop culture escapism every single day a brand new episode Often imitated, but never duplicated, the Riley and Kimmy Show. Here we go, Kimmy. Going to ask you well, some questions for this Wednesday. And if you get more of these right than wrong, you get yourself that complimentary dinner. Well, actually, you win the dinner uh, from anywhere in greater central Florida for, uh, you know, sort of like a certificate like they used to do on, you know, uh, Johnny Carson, you know, the Tonight Show thing for All those right. who stumped the band. That's what we got here, a certificate for Kimmy. That she can take anywhere. Okay. It's one of those. It's it's magical. Yes, right. that's how it's working. Now, if Kimmy does not get more of them right than wrong, 
she gets her complimentary can of generic spam. All so right. Good luck to Kimmy, and you can help her out right now. First question, Kimmy, is computer and shopping based. What year within two years did Amazon.com come to be? When was it founded? 2005. Amazon.com, far older than you realize. Matter of fact, it uh, was fighting with eBay way, way back. 1994 is when Amazon.com, and you probably don't recall, but many years ago, Amazon used to have the auction things too. Way back. Hmm. I mean, way, way back. Hmm. The year is 1811. Venezuela became the first South American country to declare independence from Spain. The year is 1865. 1865. The Secret Service Division in the United States was created to combat currency counterfeiting, forging, and also altering of currency and securities. It was a big problem, especially after the Civil War. There was a certain TV show, Kimmy, that is based... On that time period, when the Secret Service came to be, and they kind of combined it a little bit with, well, James Bond. See if you can identify the TV show that's based on the Secret Service of that 19th century time period. Can you identify the TV show based on that time period when the Secret Service came to be in 1865? What was the name of the TV show? The Wild Wild West? Yeah, that's right. Aired 1965 to 1969. That was in its original run. Then they did made-for-TV movies. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw those on CBS. No? No, you didn't. Well, they, they would have kept doing those, except the individual who played... Artemis Gordon passed away, and so they just let it go. Actually, I, I say stay away from those made-for-TV made movies if you like the Wild Wild West TV show because they played it more for laughs than anything. Mm. I, I like the original TV series, especially the black and white years of the Wild Wild West. Moving back to trivia, it was on this date in 1916. Adelina and August Van Buren started on the first successful transcontinental motorcycle tour to be attempted by two women. Think about this. 1916 motorcycle. Mm. Bet that wasn't a great ride. Roads weren't good. Mm-mm. Weren't a lot, of, uh, a lot of paved roads. The ladies started in New York City and arrived in San Diego, California on September 12, 1916. So they started, started on July 5th. Took them till September 12th. Riding on whatever roads were there. Mm. Would you attempt that today? No. 1919 Red Sox Babe Ruth hits two home runs in a game for his first of 72 times. 1943 actress Betty Grable weds big band leader Harry James. It was on this date the bikini bathing suit made its debut in Paris within five years. When did the bikini make its debut, Kimmy? 1960? It was 1946 when it made its debut. 
the year is 1954, this person records, well, for the very first time, his first commercial recording session, that is. It took place in Memphis, Tennessee. He recorded two songs that day, Identify the Recording Artist. Well, that's all right, Mama. That's all right for you. That's all right, Mama. Just any way you do it, that's all right. That's all right. That's all right, my mama. Who is that, Kimmy? Elvis. That's right. He recorded That's All Right, Mama and Blue Moon of Kentucky. Blue moon, blue moon, blue moon, keep shining bright. Blue moon, keep on shining bright. She's gonna bring me back on my baby tonight. Blue moon, keep shining bright. I say blue moon of Kentucky, they keep on shining Blue Moon of Kentucky, that's Elvis, 1954, recorded that on this date, and that's all right, Mama. The year is 1957, singer-actor Frank Sinatra and movie star Ava Gardner divorce after six years of marriage. It was on this date the first Beatle tune to hit the United States charts happens. It is, well, give me the year, Kimmy. We're going to give you a choice here. The first Beatles tune to hit the U.S. charts. Was it 1963, 1964, 1965, or 1966? I will tell you this much. It's the Hot 100. It showed up at number 87. 1964. 1963. It was a cover of Del Shannon's From Me to You. The year is 1964. This group releases this single. See if you can identify who it is, Kimmy. How do you do what you do to me? I wish I knew. If I knew how you do it to me, I'd do it to you. How do you do what you do to me? I'm feeling blue. Wish I knew how you do it to me, but I haven't a clue. How Do You Do It is the song. It was released on this date, 1964. Now, I wrote down one of two things I think you'll guess, one of two groups. What is the name of the group? The Birds. Ooh, I didn't think you'd say that one. I thought you would guess the Animals or Herman's Hermits. It's Gary and the Pacemakers. The year is 1968. John Lennon sells his psychedelic painted Rolls Royce. The year, 1969. This group gave a free concert for 250,000 fans in London. They did this to introduce Mick Taylor as their new guitarist. Name the band. Rolling Stones. Yes. The year is 1975. This band releases this song, Identify the Band. Those golden dreams of my yesterday. Years 1975, who had that as a hit? Bad Company? Yes, feel like making love. 1975, this person became the first black man to win a Wimbledon singles title. That's when he defeated Jimmy Connors. Who is it? Mm, um, 
Arthur Ashe? That's that's right. 19, Arthur Ashe. Yeah, 1975. Okay. The year's 1978. EMI record pressing plant in Britain stops printing the album cover Some Girls due to complaints from celebrities. Whose album is that? The Rolling Stones. Yes, year 1978. Moving to 1986. This first lady cuts a red, white, and blue ribbon to reopen the Statue of Liberty after its refurbishment. Who is the first lady, 1986? Nancy Reagan. Correct. 1987. The A's, Mark McGuire, first rookie to hit 30 home runs before the All-Star break. The year is 1989. Rod Stewart hits his head while on stage and knocks himself out. Remember, do not do that, Kimmy, when we're on stage next time. Do not do a Rod Stewart. 1989, former United States National Security Council aide Oliver North receives a $150,000 fine and a suspended prison term for his part in the Iran-Contra affair. The convictions were later overturned. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. 1996, the first mammal to be cloned from an adult soul born in Scotland... What was the name of the sheep born on this date, this special sheep, Kimmy? Dolly? Yes, 1996. 2002, this actor who starred on this TV show marries a model. Tell me the name of the TV show. Here is your clue, Kimmy, that uh, this person was the star of. Can you identify the TV show? Smallville. He played Clark Kent. Who is it? Tom Welling. Yes. Age 25, Mary's model, Jamie White. 2002, Jimi Hendrix's family won an injunction against a New York-based music production company from releasing recordings that Hendrix had performed. (music) Moving to notable birthdays. This person, born on this date, 1810, died 1891 at the age of 80. He was an American showman, a businessman, an entertainer, and is widely credited, but it is wrong, for saying the following phrase. There's a sucker born every minute. Who is it? Mm, Yep. Um... He did not say that, although people will swear he did to this day. He did not. The phrase was far older. It goes back to the gambling days on the riverboats. Barnum? That's correct. P.T. Barnum, born on this date, 1810. Moving to another notable born on this date. Next individual is an American film and television actor, but known for a TV series. He was on it for a long time. He missed some episodes due to poor health. But he was on the bulk of the episodes. See if you can identify the TV show this person is famous for. Here is your audio clue.
Kimmy, can you identify that Western that was on television for a long period of time? And this person starred on many episodes, almost all of them, or was appeared in them, I should say. No. You can't identify the TV show that was on CBS forever. Um, I'll guess Gunsmoke. Well, your guess is good, Kimmy. That is correct. It he is? Pl- yeah, you're right. He played Doc on the show. It's Milburn Stone, born on this date, 1904, died 1980 at the age of 75. He's one of those that looked a lot older than he was. Uh, if you check MeTV now, if you have that in your television market, you can see the first seasons of Gunsmoke, the black and white years. And you'll see what I mean because he's he's about 40-something when he starts the role uh, on Gunsmoke, maybe just touching 50. But he looks like he's about 75 or something hmm. at that time period. But he, uh, And I love those early years of Gunsmoke, those black and white years, which never saw as a child in syndication because it was black and white and it was a half hour and they just did not run those in syndication. But MeTV is running those now. If you want to see an edgier Matt Dillon, an edgier Gunsmoke show, they they it was better paced uh, than the, the hour long in my opinion and just very very good stories and Gunsmoke was a successful old-time radio show that went to television just didn't take the cast from radio to TV and the radio and TV show actually ran at the same time for a period of time the radio show continued with its cast and its stories and then the TV show had its thing but the radio show also had very edgy uh, shows or episodes as well so it's worth visiting too next person born on this date Having a birthday today, Kimmy, an American film, theater, and television actress. She was in a lot of TV shows. You know her in a lot of things. One of them in particular, I think you do know the TV show that she is known for. See if you can identify it. Here is your audio clue. You identify that TV show that ran from 1984 to 1992. Growing pains? No. Whoa! I actually thought you would have you would have gotten this one. Uh, a young Alyssa Milano was on this show. Tony Danza was on this show. Who's the boss? Yes, that's right. And this person played Mona. And that is Catherine Hellman, who's having a birthday. She's 89. Can you tell me one other TV show she's known for, Kimmy? Soap. Yeah, you got that right. She played Jessica Tate on Soap from 1977 to 81. And she was also on Coach. And she was on Everybody Loves Raymond. She had some parts on that as well. I am surprised you knew the show Soap. I have a feeling one of those relatives of yours, a notorious videotaper, must have had a lot of those on tape for you to watch or something. Mm. Yeah. Because I, 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 Kimmy was not on planet Earth when soap aired originally. 
Next individual having a birthday is a musician, a singer. Lead singer for this group, identify who the birthday person is, and once you have, tell me how old he is within five years. Who is it, Kimmy? Huey Lewis. That's right. How old is Huey today? Within uh, five. 60. He is 67 today. Next person. Impossible trivia time. Had one hit on the Billboard Hot 100 back in 1991, Kimmy. Celebrating a birthday today. 58 years old. See if you can identify who it is with his one hit. Here is a little sniglet. Put on my blue suede shoes and I boarded the plane. Touched down in the land of the Delta Blues in the middle of the pouring rain. WC handy, won't you look down over me? Yeah, I got a first class ticket, but I'm as blue as a boy can be. Walking with my feet ten feet off a beam Walking in Memphis But do I really feel the way I feel Who is that having a birthday today, Kimmy? I can't tell you. That was impossible music trivia. It's Mark Cohn having a birthday. He's 58 today. Walking in Memphis charted at its highest number 13 in 1991 on the Billboard Hot 100. I see dead people. It's notable death time. It was on this date, 1969. This actor passes away. He is best remembered for, well, a role on a certain franchise on television. Actually started out on radio, the franchise did, and went to TV. Tell me the name of the TV show he is known for. Dragnet. That's right. He starred on Dragnet. He was... Uh, he was Officer Frank Smith. He was partnered with Joe Friday on Dragnet, radio and television. The first version, TV version, could not come back for the 1967 TV show. Jack Webb wanted him when he relaunched, brought Dragnet back to TV in color because he had signed on a, another TV show, just signed it too, signed the contract like just right before Jack Webb contacted him. And he starred on ABC's Felony Squad, which ran for a number of years, from 1966 to 1969. Ben Alexander passes away on this date at the age of 58, 1969. The year is 1983. Harry James passes away at 67, American trumpet player and actor. 2002, Ted Williams, baseball Hall of Famer, last player to bat over 400 in a single season, dies at the age of 84. Kimmy, I think you did a fantastic job on this way back Wednesday. We got that certificate coming your way. All right. And what we're going to do now is go back in time, focus on something for way back Wednesday. Radio was new. Radio, someone still loves you. And that's the Riley and Kimmy show. Anytime we go back in time to the golden age of radio, we take that opportunity. We spoke about... Ben Alexander passing away on this date in 1969, and I thought we'd focus on some of his old-time radio work. Matter of fact, we'd focus on Dragnet. 
He was part of the radio series, which was extremely popular before going to television. The show was very popular. Matter of fact, continued on radio for a period of time while the TV show was on. We have two episodes of the Golden Age of Radio version of Dragnet to focus on Ben Alexander. The first one is The Big Press from 1951, followed by The Big Listen. By the way, most of the episodes have the title The Big in it at the I don't know why they did that with Dragnet, but it's The Big Listen or The Big Whatever. Just want to let you know that. A little side note. Here he is, Ben Alexander playing Frank Smith opposite Jack Webb. We're kicking it off with The Big Press. Ladies and gentlemen, one year ago tonight, through the facilities of your local national broadcasting company station, we were privileged to enjoy your attention at the premiere broadcast of a new series of authentic documented dramas entitled Dragnet. This evening, on the occasion of our first anniversary as weekly guests in your home, the cast, technicians, and producers of Dragnet wish to state publicly that our indebtedness is enormous. For the degree of success which Dragnet has achieved during the past year, our first and greatest obligation is to you, our weekly listeners, for your support, for your many kind letters of encouragement, criticism, and appraisal. If Dragnet is a proven success, then you have made it so. Behind the scenes, we have many more people to thank. Our engineers, our sound technicians, our cast. To the radio editors and columnists across the nation, also a sincere thank you for your judgment of our efforts. Additionally, claims on our thanks are held by the Los Angeles Police Department, for the National Broadcasting Company, to all of these... And to you, our gratitude. Here at the starting point of Dragnet's second year of broadcasting, our wish is twofold. First, that we may enjoy your continued support. Secondly, that we may deserve that support. Thank you. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to robbery detail. Scores of lone women have been beaten and robbed. The victims have been unable to identify the criminals. Your job, get them. the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Monday, July 1st. It was mild in Los Angeles. You're working the night watch out of robbery detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Ed Walker, captain of robbery. My name's Friday. It was 9.27 p.m. when I left the phone booth at the Sunset Drive-In and got to our car. 80K. Anything new? 80K, code 7. Oh, captain Walker's wife had her baby. Boy, eight pounds. Oh, that's swell. She all right? Yeah, so's the captain. Look at the uniform on the waitress, Tim. Yeah, they sure dress them up, don't they? Good evening. 
Hi, Daisy. Oh, hello. Didn't recognize you. What do you have, the usual? No, I think I'll have something else besides a hamburger this time. Here's the menu. Take your choice. Oh, thank you. Well, I'm kind of hungry. Maybe I'll take a meal. Mm-hmm. 2R, 816 85 cents. Honk, could just take the purse. Why do they have to beat up the women? We don't know. Well, there's headlines staring me in the face every time I open a paper. I'm getting afraid to walk home at night. Do you get coffee and dessert with the Salisbury steak? Yeah. 65 cents. 72T, Roger on your call. Say, do you guys know what I've been talking about? Yeah, Daisy, we know. I'll take the Salisbury steak. Yeah, so will I. Hamburger specials on two. Well done on mine, please. Burn. Okay. Be a couple of minutes. Thanks. All units in the vicinity of 1016 North McCadden. That's us. Get it up. 44 PS from slugging. All units in the vicinity of 1016 North McCadden. 484 PS from slugging. Code 3. 61F, take the call. Okay. Let her know we're going. Okay. I'll be right there. No, we're leaving. We'll be back. You know, I've been wondering. What's that? Hamburger and Salisbury steak, what's the difference? Price. To the police officer, the lowest thief and most cowardly is the purse snatcher who preys on women. For more than a month, lone women throughout the western section of the city have been robbed and beaten. The descriptions were confused and varied because the attacks took place at night. 10.06 10.06 p.m. We got to the location on North McCadden where the woman was lying on the sidewalk. She'd been badly beaten about the face and neck and her jaw had been broken. Officers Reed and Shell of Unit 61F were already there. Any witnesses, officer? Yeah, this man in the sweater here saw it happen. Says the victim's name's Swanson. This is Mr. Kahn. How do you do? This is Sergeant Romero. My name's Friday. I wonder if we could talk to you, please? Yeah, certainly. Do you want to come into the house? Right over here will be all right. That officer there says that you saw it happen. That's right. I was watching television. I heard this scream outside. I looked out and saw these two men beating her up. Can you describe them? Well, the light wasn't real good. Right, They're about as tall as you two, but they had slighter bills. How old were they? Could you see that? Well, I'd say they were young, maybe 18, 19. I saw them knock her down. It was terrible. They hit her, and then they kicked her. Uh, they picked up the purse and, 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 and ran down that way. And you called the police? Uh, yes, but not right away. I, I ran out and, and saw them get in their car across the street. They drove right past me. Then they turned east there on, on Romain. Can you describe the car for us? I got the license number for you. The last three numbers were 552. Just three numbers? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you describe the car? What kind was it? Oh, I don't know. It was new. I think it was black. Maybe a sedan. Well, was it a large car or a small one? Oh, kind of medium Did you notice the back of it? Yeah, that's where I saw the license plate. No, I mean, did you notice anything about the car? Maybe a dent on the fender or a sticker on the window? I didn't look at the window. Did the car have a spotlight or a radio antenna? Well, I guess I didn't see any. I was trying to look at the license plates. Did you notice anything unusual about the car? Any any identifying marks at all? No, no, I didn't notice. 
How about the make of the car? Did you see what kind of one? No, no. The last three numbers on the license plate were 552. California license plate? Uh, yes, it was. Now, that should be enough here. Do you think you'll catch them tonight? Do you know how many plates end in 552? While Ben called in a general description of the car and the two attackers, I talked to the other bystanders. I found out that the victim's name was Mrs. Frida K. Swanson, a widow. She had a room at 1003 North McCadden. None of the neighbors had seen the robbery or the beating take place. 11.28 p.m., Ben and I arrived at Hollywood Receiving Hospital to interview Mrs. Swanson, but she was unable to talk or to identify her attackers. She wrote on a piece of paper that she'd been slugged from behind. She never got a good look at the men. Besides a broken jaw, she was suffering from a fractured wrist, a broken nose, and bruises about the face and body. Tuesday, July 2nd, the getaway car used in the attack on the previous night was found abandoned on Hollywood Boulevard and proved to be a stolen car. License number 6-Young-4552. The victim's empty purse was found inside. Routine investigation developed no leads. We met with Captain Walker. Because the last four attacks had taken place within a six-block radius, we set up a plan of decoys in an attempt to trap the two purse snatchers. Four policewomen from Juvenile Bureau and a special detail from Metropolitan Division were assigned. Tuesday, 4 p.m., a special detail was ordered to the squad room for briefing. Hello, Joe. Oh, hiya, Dorothy. How's your tuxedo back in mothballs? Yeah, how are your feet? My feet, nothing the matter with them. You're a good dancer. Yeah, I bet I could use some lessons. Oh, you don't need lessons, Joe. You need practice. Okay, let's get started. <clears throat> I don't have to tell you the risks involved in an operation like this. I want all of you to know where everybody will be at any given time. By all of you, I mean the police women and also the men who will be in the squad cars. If anybody misses anything, stop me. We don't have much of a description of the men we're after. There are two of them, both about 18 years old. Usually they wear sneakers, slacks, and sport coats. They've been in different kinds of cars, all of them stolen. We keep each car for a few days and ditch it. Uh, pull down the map, will you, Joe? Yes, sir. Now, here's the area here. Residential, 90% of the dwellings have garages, so if a car is parked on the street, it might be unusual. Each of you will be given a list of cars stolen in the last 48 hours, still outstanding. I want you to check all parked cars against the hot sheet. Oh, uh, first hold up your purses, please. Young lady, that purse is too small, I'm afraid. Let's make it look worthwhile. Yes, sir. All right. Of course, you won't be carrying your guns in your purse. You wear a shoulder holster. Before you leave, Sergeant Friday will pass out some marked bills I want you to carry. Okay, now, Policewoman Short. You'll board a westbound streetcar at Western and Santa Monica Boulevard at, uh, at 9.03 p.m. Don't worry about these schedules. The streetcar will be there. Get off at Las Palmas at 9.13 walk south to Willoughby. Turn east on Willoughby to Hudson and north one block to Romaine. You go west on Romaine to Coenga and then retrace your steps to the starting point and you're through. Got it? Yes, sir. You'll be covered by Unit 81K. Captain. Yep. How fast or slow should we walk? Oh, I'd say a pretty good pace. No woman likes to be alone on the streets at night, so it'd be natural. Yes, sir. Policewoman Ball. Yes, sir. You'll board an eastbound bus at La Brea and Melrose at uh, 9.35 p.m. Okay. You get off at Wilcox and Melrose at 9.45. Walk north on Wilcox to Waring. Turn west on Waring for two blocks and north on Cherokee. Okay. You follow Cherokee for two blocks. Turn east on Romaine. Mm. 
Follow Romaine to Cole, then turn north on Cole. When you get to Santa Monica Boulevard, retrace your steps to your starting point. You'll be covered by Unit 87K. Will the cars be cruising or will they be parked? Both. Friday and Romero will be cruising all the time. I'll get to the others when I finish with these instructions. Of course, if you see any police car, give no recognition. Yes, sir. Captain. Yeah? You said the two suspects wear sneakers? That's right. It'd be pretty hard to hear them come up behind you. I'd say so. Did any of the victims hear them? If they had, they wouldn't be victims. Nine p.m. The decoy plan went into effect. We waited. Tuesday night passed. Nothing happened. Wednesday night, nothing. Thursday, July 4th, the decoy plan was enlarged to include a larger area, but everything was quiet. Friday, July 5th. Captain Walker decided that the new plan covering an area from La Brea to Vine Street and from Sunset to Beverly would be kept in operation. 10.45 p.m., Ben and I cruised the exposed area. We've been thinking about moving to a new place. Yeah? Only trouble is we don't know what's going to happen. You mean if rent control goes off? Yeah. We don't know if rents will go up or down. We've got a lease at Except next month. And Mariposa, 507 party. We don't know what to do. We even tossed a coin to decide. That's about as good a way as any. Coin came up tails four times in a row. Yeah? Wife changed her mind on each toss. No decision. Roger, 71R. Got a policewoman down there? Yeah. Nancy Short. You got her out there? Uh, South on Hudson, east on Melrose, then up Wilcox to Sunset. All units, Willoughby and Hudson, 484 BS and slugging code 3. That's us. Let's roll on it. 83F, Willoughby and Hudson, 484 BS and slugging code 3. We drove to Willoughby and Hudson, just south of the corner, and saw a woman sitting on the grass with a few people around. She was a young woman, about 25. Her clothes had been torn, and there was a red welt on her right cheekbone. She was trying to get to her feet as we came up. There'll be an ambulance here in a few minutes, miss. Can you tell us how it happened? My cheek's swelling. Did you see who attacked Yes, you? I did. I can tell you about them. Look, here, I ripped off one of their pockets. These cards fell out. Mm-hmm. Mm, driver's license. George Landon. Here's the piece of cloth I tore off his pocket. I'll take that, ma'am. Thank you. You want to stay with her? I'll see if I can get a make on this license. You're okay. Uh, would you give me your name, please? Barbara Curtis. I live over on Eddie K to control one. Eight OK to control one. Go ahead, Eddie K. Check suspect for making warrants. George Landon, male, white, age 18, 5 feet 9 inches, 155 pounds, blue eyes, black hair. Address 2722 and a half, Arthur Avenue, KMA 367. Roger, Eddie K. Did you see the car? Yes, I saw it. White sidewall tires. It was a club coupe. I tried to see the license plate. I couldn't make it out. What color was the car? I don't know. Dark green, I think. I'm so mad I could boil. Can you describe the man? Well, you got the driver's license. It's all there. Well, that's just for one of them, miss. You said there were two men. I don't know. I grabbed one of their coats and the other one hit me. Mm -hmm. The thing I'm so mad about is I tried to scream and nothing had come out. I understand. All right, hi. Unit 63F, we got the call. That's fine. This is the victim, Miss Curtis. If you'll handle the report and see that she gets home, we got a lead to check out here. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Don't Control 1 to 80K. Don't you call back, Joe? Right, we better get it. Come on. I'll right with you. Uh, 80K to Control 1. Go ahead. 80K. 
suspect has misdemeanor and felony record. One arrest, suspicion of robbery, and one arrest, GTA. No wants at this time. Most recent address on suspect, 27, 22 and one half, Arthur Avenue. Roger. Been in trouble before. Felony and misdemeanor. Yeah. And the address matches. Maybe this cloth does. listening to Dragnet. Friday, 11 p.m., Ben and I drove to 27, 22 and a half Arthur Avenue. It was a small house at the rear of a lot on the east end of town. Alongside the front house, there was a narrow passageway leading to the house in the back with a small lawn between the two. There was no alley, and anybody leaving from the front or back door had to go through the narrow passage. As we approached the house, a light was on in the front room, and through the window, we could see a middle-aged woman reading a magazine. We rang the bell. Yes? Police officers. Does George Landon live here? Why, yes, he does. I'm his aunt, Miss Landon. What do you want? Can we come in? Why, yes. Thank you. Won't you sit down? Thank you, ma'am. Is George Landon at home now? No, he isn't, but I think he'll be home soon. He never stays out late. He isn't in any trouble, is he? Do you know where he is? With his friends, I suppose. He's a popular boy. He really should be home soon. Where has he been, Miss Lynn? I don't know. He goes out at night, you know, with his friends. Who are they? Well, I really don't know. You see, it's difficult to keep track of a young boy. Mm-hmm. He's a big boy, and he's full of vitality. He has to find things to do. Yes, ma'am. He lives here with me. I'm his aunt. I'm not married, so I take care of him. His parents died when he was a baby. I see. Does George work, or does he go to school? Oh, he's finished school. You aren't here about that automobile that was stolen a year ago, are you? No, ma'am. Oh. He had some trouble then, but I'm sure he didn't do it. Since then, he's been very good. He hasn't missed a day's work, and he goes to church with me any time I ask him. Where does he spend his evenings, do you know? Well, I told you, with his friends. A young man has to use up his energy. I don't try to hold him too tightly. Good boy like him. Can we look at his room? Oh, yes. It's right here. All right. I'll show you how neat he keeps it. Now, there. Isn't that nice? Yes, ma'am. I'm not trying to defend him. I'm only telling you about him. He keeps this room cleaned up himself. He smokes a little, but I've never smelled a drop of liquor on his breath. He's a very good boy. Yes, ma'am. He even reads a lot. You, you can see his books over here. Yes, ma'am. You mind if we look around a little? No, that's all right. Should be home soon. He's probably at a movie. Do you want to wait for him? No, that won't be necessary. He's always home by midnight. I'll tell him you were here. Oh, that must be George now. George! Yeah? These men would like to talk to you. They're police officers. All right, take it easy, young fellow. Well, let go. Hold him. Turn him around. Yep. Stand still, young fellow. No, it's no gun. What do you guys think you're doing? 
Uh, I didn't do anything. I was just out for a ride. This your nephew? Yes. Coat's torn, Joe. Pocket ripped off. This your driver's license here, George? Yeah. I lost it. When? Last week. It was found tonight. So what? How'd you tear your coat? Getting out of the car the other night. Here's a piece of cloth. The girl who was attacked tonight gave it to us. It matches the tear there in your coat. What have you done, George? Tell her. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it any time. He talked me into it. Who talked you into he it? He made me do it. He's got a gun and he stole the cars. He made all the plans. Who made all the plans? Well, Tommy, oh, we never did anything except hang out at the drugstore until that time a year ago. What's his last name? He said that it would always be held against me and I better go along with him. Tommy who? Decker. Was he with you tonight? Yeah, he's the one that hit her when she grabbed hold of me. He's the one that always hit him. I never wanted him to do it. Mm-hmm. Where's the stuff you took out of that purse? Well, Tommy's going to hide it. Where? Back of where he works. Where's that? Oh, garage someplace. I don't know where. He just started working there. Where does he live? Place on West 6th. i never been there. What does this Decker look like? Well, he's the same age I am, but about an inch taller and must be 15 pounds heavier. He's got dark hair. How's he dressed? Just like me. Sneakers and brown slacks and a tan sport coat. Better call the office, Ben. Yeah. Can I use your telephone, ma'am? Oh, it's in the hall behind the door. Thank you. You said Decker's got a gun? Yeah. Officer, will you tell me the truth? I'll try, ma'am. Are George and this Tommy Decker the two men the papers have been writing about? I'm afraid so. The ones who've been robbing the women? Yes, ma'am. And beating them up? Yeah. I didn't mean it. I didn't know what I was doing. I raised you, George. I didn't either. Eleven forty-two p.m. We checked into the office with the eighteen-year-old suspect, George Landon. While Ben and a police stenographer took down the statement, I went down to R&I and pulled the package on the other suspect, Thomas Decker. His mama sheet showed a petition had been filed on 459 PC and 488 PC. They also showed three different recent addresses for Decker. One on West 6th Street, one on South Mariposa, and a third on North Catalina. Two units were dispatched to the first two addresses. Ben and I went to the address on North Catalina, a rooming house. We learned from Decker's landlady that he was working as an apprentice mechanic on the swing shift at a large garage on South Flower Street. 12.51 a.m., Ben and I arrived at the garage. I beg your pardon. Yes? Police officer, does Thomas Decker work here? Yeah, he works here. Hey, Decker! Thank you. Here you are. You Thomas Decker? Yeah? Police officers like to talk to you. Watch it, Joe. Come on. Hey, he's going in the locker room. It's locked. Come on, hit it. No go. Hey, you. You over there. Any other way out of this locker room? Yeah, down the hall in the end. Come on, Ben. All right, Here we are. Watch it! Came from behind that car, back by the door. All right, cover me. All right, Ben, give it back to him. Throw your gun out! Throw it out! Here it is! Don't shoot! All right, now, come on out. Hands behind your head. I'll get the gun. All right, you turn around. Lousy! Watch it, Joe! Watch it! He's getting away! Head him off downstairs! 
No. There he goes. All right, get the cuffs on him, Ben. Yeah, you are. Yeah. 18 years old. What's it prove? I don't know. Sometimes you kind of wonder if it's true. What's that? There's no such thing as a bad boy. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. On November 1st, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 82, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. Thomas Decker and George Landon were tried and convicted on five counts of grand theft person, five counts of grand theft auto, and five counts of assault with intent to do great bodily harm. They were sentenced to the state penitentiary for a term as prescribed by law and are now serving their sentence. Ladies and gentlemen, Chief of Police W.A. Wharton speaking from his office in City Hall, Los Angeles, California. As Chief of Police of the City of Los Angeles, I wish to extend my heartiest congratulations to the program Dragnet on the occasion of its first anniversary. The overwhelming success of this program, as indicated by the hundreds of commendatory letters, telegrams, and personal comments, I feel has been due to the splendid job of portraying police officers and their work. The American public, by its enthusiastic acceptance of Dragnet, has indicated a desire for factual police programs. The Los Angeles Police Department is proud to contribute to the constructive entertainment of both adults and children through this medium. May I extend my best wishes to the National Broadcasting Company, the sponsor, the actors, the writer, and the producer of Dragnet. And I trust there will be many more years of continued success for this program. have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of Chief of Police W.A. Wharton, Los Angeles Police Department. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Wednesday, August 4th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of robbery detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Chief of Detectives Thad Brown. My name's Friday. We were on our way out from the office, and it was 9.42 a.m. when we got to the Osborne Turkish Bath. 
Steam room. Hot, isn't it? Yeah. It must be Dell back there. Yeah. Dell? Yeah, who is it? It's Friday and Smith. Oh, I'll be right with you. Okay. Hey, Joe, did you ever have one of these? One of what? Turkey's fast. You ever had one? No, no, I never have. I understand they're great for coals. You just sit there and it burns the germs right out. It's great. You ever have one? No, but Armin, my brother-in-law, he takes them all the time. Tells me about how it does for coals. Next time he has one, I think I'll go with him. Yeah, it's a good idea. Hi. Ah, sorry to keep you waiting. We've been having trouble with the boiler. Got to keep a close check on the steam pressure in here. That's okay. Let's get out of here, huh? It won't make me unhappy. It sure is hot, Dell. Go on upstairs. We can talk there. Okay. What do you got for us, Dell? Uh, I might not go anyplace, but I thought I ought to fill you guys in on it. Mm-hmm. Fella rolled in here last night. Must have been about 10.30. Night man's out with a cold, so I had to fill in. A cold? Yeah, some kind of virus or something. Oh, yeah. Come on, we can talk in the office. Sit down, you. Mind if I go over some of these bills while we talk? No, go ahead. Well, uh, this bimbo pulls in here last night, really carrying a load. I registered him and had Jimmy take him upstairs. Guy's kind of loud, you know, rolling all over the place. I wanted to get him upstairs to a room, figuring he'd sack out and we wouldn't hear no more from him. Yeah. Well, he had a different idea. A couple minutes later, he comes downstairs, wants to know what's going on. What do you mean? Wants to know where the steam room is. Says he's not going to sit in a little room all night. He paid for his steam bath. That's what he wants. Yeah. When he starts to talk about his high-powered friends and this dealer outpull, I kind of figure there's something wrong. You tell you who the friends were? No, not right now. I just mentioned a guy named Bud. Kept talking how Bud was going to be sore at him because he got drunk. Must have said it a hundred times, how Bud was going to be real sore. Sounded to me like this Bud is the big man in the deal. I see. No idea what the deal is, though, huh? No, most he said was that when they left town, they were all going to have a lot of money. More money than I'd ever seen. You got the name on this guy? Oh, here's the register here. Let's see. Uh... Hey, you can see right here. Uh... Uh -huh. Vernon Carmichael, Los Angeles. Didn't give an address, huh? Once he mentioned he had to meet Bud at a hotel down on South Flower. Didn't say which one, though. Well, Flower's a long street, Dell. That doesn't help much. Didn't give any ideas at all of what the deal was going to be, huh? No, must be a good one, though. Why do you say that? Well, when I took him up to his room last night, I could see his clothes hanging on a chair. Yeah. On top of his coat, he had a shoulder holster. Looked like a 45 automatic in it. The way I look at it, guy that's carrying that kind of muscle is figuring on scoring heavy. Did you make any phone calls while he was here? No. Anybody had the room since he left? No, I told the cleanup man to leave it alone. Figure you'd want to go over it. It's a good idea. What time did he leave this morning? Jimmy says it was about 7.30. I figured sure he'd sleep most of the morning. If I'd have known he was going to leave that early, I'd have called you last night. Mm -hmm. Well, we better take a look at that room, Dell. Might be able to come up with something that'll tell us who he is. I got something else for you. Yeah, what's that? I mentioned this Carmichael to Jimmy last night. Told him that I thought there was something wrong. Yeah. The reason the guy left so early is that he got a call from somebody. Guess it's the guy that picked him up. Did this Jimmy see who it was? No, did the next best thing, though. Yeah, what's that? Got the license number of the car. Ten fifteen a.m., we got in touch with Leighton Prince, and Harlan Stahl sent a crew out to go over the room. Frank put in a call to the record bureau, and he had the name Vernon Carmichael checked. There was no record on anyone answering the description that we'd gotten from the manager of the Turkish Baths. In addition, a radiogram was sent to the Department of Motor Vehicles in Pennsylvania, asking for all available information on the owner of the car bearing a license number that we've been given. 11.30 a.m., Harlan Stahl's crew finished checking the room and they told us that they'd been able to lift a complete set of clean fingerprints from a water glass. They were photographed and classified. In checking our files, there was no record of the prints. They were forwarded to George Breton up at Sacramento to CII and to the FBI in Washington, D.C. Two days passed. 
On Friday, August 6th, we got the word from DMV in Pennsylvania that the car was registered to a Howard Nielsen. The radiogram also gave us a description of the car and the registered owner's address in Pittsburgh. On receipt of this information, we got in touch with the police department in Pittsburgh and found that Howard Bud Nielsen had a misdemeanor record. Late Friday afternoon, the kickback from Washington, D.C. arrived with the information that the fingerprints found in the room at the Turkish bath were those of Vernon Carmichael. His record listed arrests for petty theft and robbery in Pennsylvania. He'd been brought to trial, but he'd been acquitted. Both men were well known to the police department in Pittsburgh as hoodlums. On Saturday morning, the mugshots of both Nielsen and Carmichael arrived. 10.15 a.m., we met with Lieutenant Jack Smyers, and we decided that the information coupled with the records of the two men made the incident worth investigation. The mugshots of the pair were copied, and a canvas of the hotels on South Flower Street was started in an attempt to find the residence of the suspects. The search went on for another two days without results. Monday, August 9th, 11.47 a.m., Frank and I got back to the office from communications. You know, we're going to feel pretty silly if Carmichael and Nielsen are already back there. Yeah, I know. It's beginning to look like the tip from Dell about the hotel on Flower was off, huh? Yeah. Still a lot of places to check, though. They can... Friday? Yeah. We got it for you. What? Carmichael and Nielsen. We found the hotel. At 10.30 that morning, officers Murphy and Rafferty had gotten the first affirmative answer to their questions about the suspects. A room clerk in a small hotel at the corner of South Flower Street and Bunker Hill Avenue had recognized the mugshots of Carmichael and Nielsen. Further questioning brought out the name of the third man in the trio. He was identified as Ernest Hunter. A check of the name through our records netted us no new information on him, and the name in the description was forwarded again to Brereton up at CII in Sacramento and again to Pittsburgh for possible identification. In talks with Lieutenant Smyers and Chief of Detectives Thad Brown, it was decided to keep the man under 24-hour surveillance. Three additional teams of men from robbery detail were assigned to the duty. For the next seven days, the three men were under constant watch. Their habits were regular, their movements during the day followed the same general pattern. The kickback on Ernest Hunter disclosed no criminal record. At the end of the first week of watching the men, it was decided that the next step in the operation was to place a microphone in their room so that we might be able to monitor their conversations. Frank and I got in touch with the sound crew at the crime lab and we made arrangements with them. The necessary permits were obtained from the Federal Communications Commission and the listening equipment itself was ready. We made arrangements with radio car officers to pick up the suspects for investigation. The sound crew, Frank and I, along with Murphy and Rafferty, stood by for word that the trio was in custody. Tuesday night, 9.40 p.m. Should be getting word pretty quick. Yeah. Red 2 to Red 1. Red 2 to Red 1. Come in, Red 1. That's Murph. Yeah. Red 1 to Red 2. Come in, Red 2. Any word yet? Over. No, not yet. We're all set in the manager's apartment. Monitor to outpost 1. Monitor to outpost 1. Come in, outpost 1. Sounds like they got him. Yeah, you want to take it? Yeah. Stand by, Red 3. Outpost 1 to monitor. Outpost 1 to monitor. Go ahead. Monitor to outpost 1. Information received that suspects are in custody. Repeat, suspects are in custody. Acknowledge. Outpost 1 to monitor. Outpost 1 to monitor. Message received. Outpost 1 up. You heard it. Now. Yeah. Red 1 to Red 2 and Red 3. Red 1 to Red 2 and Red 3. Do you read me, Red 2 and 3? Red 2 to Red 1. Read you. Red 3 to Red 1. Receiving clearly. Red 1 to Red 3. Suspects are now in custody. Proceed with installation of listening equipment. Over. Roger, Red 1. Red 3, please keep contact. Will do, Red 1. Red 3 out. 
Red one to red two. Come in, red two. Red two to red one. Murph, can you see the suspect's apartment from where you are? Not good, Joe. It's down the hall and around the corner. First door. Over. Red one to red three. Come in, red three. Red three to red one. Are you in the apartment yet? Yeah, Joe. We're just starting to install the bug. Is there a radio in the room? Yeah, a small table model. It's on the nightstand next to the bed. Can you fix that before you leave? Yeah, I'll pull one of the wires so it won't work. Good. Where are you putting the bug? We're landing under the edge of the carpet near the door to the kitchen. Should be able to pick up the whole room from there. Well, there's nothing to do now until we get it finished, huh? Yeah. We got the recorder all set up? Yeah, it's in the room. Sound crew came in this afternoon and made the installation on it. Mm -hmm. You know how to work it? Yeah, I think so. Jack checked me out on it. It's pretty simple. Just like playing a piano. Press a key and away it goes. Well, I hope you got it. I've always had trouble with them. Last time out, I wanted to rewind one of the spools and listen to something. Ended up erasing everything we yes, had. Yes, I remember that very well. I was afraid you would. Mm -hmm. Red three to red one. Red three to red one. Come in, red one. It's the sound crew. Yeah. Red one to red three. At completed installation, we're leaving the apartment. Have you seen anybody in the halls? No, all clear. We've had more than our share of luck on this one, Joe. Yeah, let's hope it holds out. Eleven fifteen p.m. The installation of the listening equipment was completed, and Frank and I, along with Officer Pat Murphy, took up our positions in the room we intended to use as a monitoring post. Officer Rafferty went back to the city hall and told them that we'd finished and we were ready to have the suspects released. In the meantime, Carmichael, Nielsen, and Hunter had been fingerprinted and mugged. A search of their persons had failed to reveal any incriminating evidence, and the time that they'd been held had allowed us to make the necessary installation. After the trio had been released, we received information that they were proceeding toward the hotel. Frank, Murphy, and I waited for them at the monitor post to come into their room. 12.35 a.m. That's them. Get the recorder, huh? Right. You want to take care of the log, Frank? Yeah. You see, it's 12.36 a.m. That's it. There was no way of learning what they planned. When they left the room, they were constantly under surveillance, but their movements were routine. They took their meals in the same restaurant. They went to movies. They sat in bars, always together. During the time they were out of the apartment, they made no local contacts. They received no telephone calls. They made none. We knew that they were planning something, but there was no way of knowing what it was. 
All conversation in the room was recorded and listened to over and over again in the hope that we could come up with some kind of a lead. But the time spent in replaying the recordings netted us nothing. From what they'd said, we figured that whatever they were planning would take place on either Tuesday, August 17th, or on Wednesday, August 18th. On Tuesday, three-way cars were assigned to the streets in front of the hotel, but the suspects acted as usual. On Wednesday, they didn't leave their room. Frank, Murphy, and I continued to wait. On the streets outside, three other teams of men were standing by in undercover cars. 9.30 p.m. That's their telephone. Get the recorder, Murph. Yeah. 9.31 p.m. Yeah. Units 1K89, 1K88, 1K87. Suspects are leaving room. Suspects are leaving room. Outpost 1 out. All right, let's go. I wish we knew what it was. Sounds like it might be narcotics. Well, it could be. Doesn't make a lot of difference, does it? Yeah. At least we know it's something. By the time we got to the street, the suspects were getting into their car and pulling away from the curb. Frank, Murphy, and I got to our car and followed them. They drove down South Flower to the corner of Palm Drive and turned left. Three blocks further, they pulled into a gas station and apparently asked directions. They turned south on Broadway and drove about a mile. At Santa Barbara Avenue, they turned left again and drove three blocks. They stopped and parked the car in front of a small bar. We informed the other units of the activity and asked them to stand by in the area. Carmichael got out of the car and entered the bar. Murphy left us and entered the bar after him. Carmichael returned in a few minutes with another man. The two of them got back into the car and they talked. At the end of that time, all four of the men got out of the automobile, and then they entered the bar. Shortly after that, Carmichael, Nielsen, and Hunter walked out of the place. Carmichael was carrying a small package wrapped in plain brown paper and tied with a string. The fourth man wasn't with him. Frank and I got out of our car and approached the men as they stood talking. All right, hold it up, police officers. Over there. Put your hands up on that wall. What's going on? Get your hands up there. Frank, you want to check in the package? Yeah. Keep your hands on that wall. Lousy deal. I hope you're happy, Carmichael. I hope you're real happy. What are you talking about? I've got to lay this one to you. You really took care of this. Stand still and keep quiet. How about it, Frank? I don't know. What do you mean? Where's money? $20 bills. Must be $15,000, $20,000 worth. Queer? As far as I can tell, it's good. Well, where's that put us? Well, there's $20,000 here. Yeah. Let's find out where they got it. <laughs> Listening to Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action. Ten oh two a.m. The four suspects were taken into custody and removed to the city hall for interrogation. We got in touch with the Secret Service and asked them to come over to the office to check on the currency. The agent arrived and, after looking at the money, pointed out several minute mistakes that had been made in the engraving of the plates. He went on to explain, however, that this particular printing was one of the best that he'd ever seen. He told us that the paper used in the bills would be analyzed and that we'd receive copies of the reports as soon as they were finished. 12.14 a.m. While Murphy Rafferty and the Secret Service man questioned Nielsen in the interrogation room, Frank and I talked to Carmichael in the squad room. We questioned him for about an hour, but he refused to say anything that would help us get a lead to the source of the counterfeit. 
1.30 a.m. How long do you figure you can keep this up, Carmichael? I don't know what you're talking oh, about. Oh, now, come off it. We're getting tired of playing kid games here. We want to know where the queer came from. Now. Who says it's queer? guy that printed it was pretty sloppy. He made a lot of mistakes. Joe? Yeah, See you, man. Yeah. Be right back. Yeah. How you doing? Nothing. Nielsen won't say a word. Gives it to us that he didn't know what was going on. Says he just went out there to pick up a package. They say who they were running the errand for? Well, tells it just he went along for the ride. The whole thing was Carmichael's idea. Mm-hmm. We thought maybe we'd go to work on Hunter, see what we can get from him. Okay. You gonna stick with Carmichael? Yeah, I guess so. From what we heard in the room, if there's gonna be a break, I got a hunch it's gonna come from him. Okay. You got anything, let us know, huh? Right away. Oh, big man's back again. Your friend there tell you all about it? No, but yours did. Hmm? Nielsen just laid the whole thing in your lap. You're kidding. You want to talk to him? What'd he say? The way he tells it, he was just along for the ride. You're the big wheel in the whole thing. He said that? I said you could talk to him if you want to. Well, he ain't gonna make it. He ain't gonna lay it on me. You want to tell us your side of it? Yeah, I'll tell you the way it happened. That lousy bum. How do you like that, him saying I'm the wheel? I'll tell you. All right, now, where'd the queer come from? I don't know. I thought you were gonna tell us. I'm doing that. I really don't know where it came from. You turn up with $20,000 and $20 bills, and you ask us to believe that you don't know where it was printed. I'm not asking you anything. I'm telling you what I know. That's it. Well, tell us about your part. Nielsen, Hunter, and me were approached in Pittsburgh. By who? I don't know. We're going that way again, huh? All right, so you don't believe me. That's the way it happened. The guy who approached you just walked up and said, here's 20,000 bucks, just like that, huh? No, the deal was that Nielsen, Hunter, and me were supposed to come out here. We were supposed to check into a hotel and wait for a call. Guy who called us would have the queer. He'd turn it over to us and we'd pass it. You bought the counterfeit? Yeah. What'd you pay for it? Two and a half. For $20? Yeah, two and a half for 20. You paid the other man we picked up? Yeah, we gave him 2,500 bucks. You ever seen a man before? What? The man you bought the queer from. Do you know him? No, I never saw him before. He's not the man who made the original contact in Pittsburgh. No, a guy back east was an old man. How old? I don't know, maybe 55, 60, around in there. Not the fellow you met tonight. I told you that before. It's not the same man. Did him use a name of any kind? No. Just to call him Pop, that's all. Pop. Give us a description of this man, Pop. What's in it for me? Well, what do you got now? Nothing. All right, it'll stay that way. You're in big trouble, Carmichael. If you're smart at all, you're going to cop out the whole thing and cooperate with us. And lousy Nielsen. Him all the time yelling about how it was all set. All the time saying we had it made. Sure, I'll go with you. I just want to see Nielsen get his, that's all. Just want to see him get his. We're going to want you to look at some pictures, too. I told you I'd go the route. You just tell me what you want to know. If I got the answer, so have you. All right. What'd he tell you? What? That lousy Nielsen. What'd he tell you about how it happened? You tell you the way I did? You tell it that way? Pretty much, yeah. Sure, that's the way it happened. Can't be told any other way. Well, Nielsen might give you an argument there. Further interrogation of the other three men in the operation served to corroborate the story that we'd been given by Carmichael. $2,500 in cash was found on the fourth suspect. Once the other men were confronted with the fact that Carmichael had told us everything he knew concerning the operation, they all followed suit. But other than telling us that they knew the head man in the counterfeiting act as Pop, they couldn't come up with any further information. From the man who'd been in the bar, we learned that he'd met Pop in Pittsburgh. He also told us that as far as he knew, the counterfeiter had been in prison at one time or another. However, the suspect was unable to tell us in what state or on what charges Pop had served time. He went on to tell us that he'd gotten the money in Pittsburgh and that Pop had told him that he'd be contacted later. The Secret Service had completed their analysis of the counterfeit bills and they told us that they were some of the most perfect printing jobs that they'd run across. The counterfeiter had made one major mistake, however. In the printing of the currency, he'd impregnated the paper with small silken hairs so that it would stand close inspection. The currency now in use is made with nylon hairs. The agent from the Secret Service told us that they had agents working on tracing the manufacturer of the paper in the hopes that they could come up with a lead as to the identity of Pop. The four suspects were booked into the city jail. Thursday, August 19th, we ran the name Pop through our moniker file. Of the 47 cards turned over to us by the Record Bureau, 
19 of the suspects listed matched the descriptions that we've been given. The pictures of the men were pulled and shown to Carmichael and the other three suspects. They were unable to give us an identification. The name and description was sent to George Brereton in Sacramento, and he sent us another 150 possible. These were checked out without result. The nickname and physical description of the man was sent to Washington, and we got back over a thousand names and pictures. It took us six weeks working with the Secret Service to check out these possibles. The results, nothing. Tuesday, October 5th, Frank and I got back to the office. I get it. Robbery Friday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, wait a minute. Wait till I get that down. All right, go ahead. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, well, it should check out. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, we'll meet you. What you got? Report of the paper and the queer bills just came through. Yeah. Looks like we found Pop. In checking the manufacturers of paper similar to that used in the counterfeit $20 bills, the Secret Service had come up with the name of a small print shop in the eastern section of Los Angeles. The paper used was of an unusual type, and there were not many orders for it. This particular shop had ordered large quantities of it in the past and was continuing to use it. In checking out the name of the man on the order blanks, the Secret Service had found that he'd been convicted of robbery and had served a term in the federal penitentiary in Atlanta. He'd been released and had come to California and opened a small print shop. We spent the next two days checking the suspect out. His name was given as Stanley Jackson, age 47. For the next week, the print shop and Jackson himself were kept under constant surveillance. On Thursday, October 14th at 11.50 p.m., the suspect was followed to his print shop. I'll cover the front of the shop, Joe. Right, man. Come on, Frank. Yeah. Joe? Yeah. Sounds like a press, doesn't it? Yeah. Come on. Back door is around here. You see what's going on in there? No. Got the windows all painted over. Hmm. What do you figure? Well, it doesn't leave us with a lot of choice. If we go in and he's not printing counterfeit, we're going to make him so hinky that we might never nail him. Yeah. If we don't go in, he might get rid of the plates. We're in trouble there, too. Yeah, like I said, we haven't got much choice, have we? All right, let's go. What's going on? What are you doing in Police here? Police officers, you're under arrest. You want to check the press, Frank? Right. You've got no right to come in here like this. I know my rights. You haven't got a warrant. You've got no right to act like this. You want to kill it, Frank? I got it. The plates are in the press, Joe. Doing the green overlay. Take a look. Yeah. You haven't got any right touching those. They're mine. They belong to me, mister. Where'd you get the plates, Jackson? They're good, aren't they, mister? The very best. Where'd you get them? Made them. Made them myself. Where'd you learn engraving? In prison. When they sent me to prison, I learned all about engraving, real engraving. Not photoprocess, but the real thing. Finest plates I've ever seen. The best. Beautiful money, isn't it? Best I've ever seen. Fool anybody. Did it all myself. Pass it anywhere. Fool anybody anywhere. Yeah. Just look at it, mister. That's a genuine article, isn't it? Real money. It's perfect. Absolutely perfect, mister. No, you're wrong there. Hmm? The government didn't print it. The story you have just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On January 11th, trial was held in federal court, Southern District of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. Vernon Alex Carmichael, Howard Raymond Nielsen, Ernest Richard Hunter, Philip Roger Harger, and Stanley Norman Jackson were tried and convicted of violation of Title 18 U.S. Code Section 474, printing and issuing counterfeit money. 
Violation of this title is punishable by a fine of $5,000 and imprisonment in a federal penitentiary for a period not to exceed 15 years. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Clarence Cassell, Jack Crucian, Harry Bartell. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. Watch an entirely different Dragnet case history each week on your local NBC television station. Please check your newspapers for the day and time. If you enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow the Riley and Kimmy Show. We feature old-time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old-time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy Show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R-I-L-E-Y and Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y, dot com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals, too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy Show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Find archive podcasts of the Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.